Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where not quite fitting into the religious status quo is a good thing. Slick church trends deceive us. Denominational traditions can blind us. But truth from the heart of God always transforms us. And now, here's our host, a self-proclaimed ministry maverick and church misfit, Jeff Lyle. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is Jeff and I'm grateful today to be picking up on the Mavericks and Misfits podcast where we left off last time. Uh, Very quickly, if you are listening for the very first time, first of all, let me say welcome. I'm glad you found us and uh, we'd love to hear from you. And um, I hope that today as we continue this series uh, that is surrounding the gifts of the Holy Spirit that you're going to be enriched. But if you are listening for the very first time, I will tell you, you're going to be more benefited in this message by listening to the previous messages. And so if you just happen to be catching this one as the first message that you've ever listened to on Mavericks and Misfits, I want to encourage you maybe to press pause on this message and scroll down wherever you're listening to this podcast and listen to the other episodes. There's probably, I think, uh, four or five in this series that preceded this one on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The reason why that's important is because this is a series of messages and there is overlapping content in them, but there's also content that won't make a whole lot of sense unless you're getting the um, the other messages. Now, if you are a true maverick, you may say, I don't care about the other messages. Just tell me what you're going to tell me in this one. And for those of you that think like that, I'm happy to oblige you. At the end of the last episode, I told you that I was going to take some time and debunk the myth of cessationism. Now, that's maybe a new term for some of you. The word cessationism is a term that is used to describe those in the body of Christ, people that love Jesus, uh, people that love to see souls saved, people that worship, people that serve, people that pray. These are not bad people, but they do believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the supernatural gifts, um, either in whole or in part, disappeared from the body of Christ around the turn of the first century. And the reason why they believe that is not because the Bible clearly teaches that, because I'm going to show you in this episode today that the Bible doesn't teach that, but these people were taught by others who believed it, and it is a perpetuated man-made teaching that is based very uh, weakly on one primary verse in the New Testament. And today I'm going to take some time to look at that verse and the verses that surround it. And just from that passage, we're going to debunk the myth of cessationism. Now, having said all of that, I'm not going to approach this with arrogance or pride. I want to establish again, especially for those who, of you who are charismatic listeners, we don't need to have an us versus them mentality in the body of Christ about peripheral issues. Um, nobody is saved or unsaved based on what they believe about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is not the central issue around which we fellowship. And so I leave a lot of latitude for being able to serve and worship and partner with people who believe differently than I do about the gifts of the Spirit. But at the same time, I'm not going to say that both of us can be right because somebody's right and somebody's wrong. Either the gifts of the Holy Spirit have stopped and those supernatural works of the Holy Spirit are no longer normative in the body of Christ, 
or those supernatural gifts continue as they have from the very beginning, from the day of Pentecost toward, uh, all the way to now. And I'm in that second camp. I would be labeled a continuationist rather than a cessationist. A continuationist believes the gifts have continued on as they have been ever since they were given after the day of Pentecost. I'm in that camp. It's more widely known denominationally is the term charismatic. So I use those terms interchangeably, continuationist or charismatic. Charismatic is just more the familiar term. But when I'm dealing with people who don't believe in the gifts, I don't always like to use the term charismatic because it automatically brings about kind of crazy images in these people's minds because, quite frankly, we charismatics do not have an awesome reputation among those who don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And so the theological terms would be continuationist, those who believe in the gifts of the Spirit, and cessationist, those who believe the gifts have ceased. So that's just a little bit of teaching moment there, uh, and you'll hear me use those terms interchangeably, and I uh, want you to be familiar with what they mean. So uh, right, before, right after I was saved, and I was led to Jesus Christ in 1994 by my boss, who was a fiery, soul-winning Southern Baptist pastor, he worked in the office where I worked, uh, part-time. Uh, that was his bread and butter. That's what paid his bills, but his real calling was ministry. And so he was a, I was 24, he was 22 and he was a fiery soul winner. And so he went after my soul for a couple of years. He would do everything he could to try to win me to Jesus. I kept telling him I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. I prayed the prayer. I got baptized, water baptized. Therefore I am going to heaven when I die. But this guy knew that I said I was going to heaven, but I was living like I was going to hell. And he saw right through my empty religion and he knew I was lost. And so Scott just kept going after me and after me until finally um, on August 4th of 1994, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ and was dramatically converted and delivered from a lifestyle that was filled and dominated by sin. And so my conversion was a supernatural, radical encounter with God that changed me from darkness to light, from death to life, from a non-believer to a believer. Um, immediately, within weeks of me being saved, this friend of mine, Scott, gave me a little book it, booklet, and it was, I believe the title of it was called The Truth About Tongues. If I'm not mistaken, it was called The Truth About Tongues. And so as a brand new Christian, I read this little pamphlet that was maybe 20 pages long, and basically, I came away from reading that pamphlet as a new Christian, and this was my conclusion after reading it. It was this, tongues are of the devil, people that speak in tongues are being controlled by demons, tongues were part of the first century church, but when the apostles and prophets passed off the scene, and when all of the biblical writings were completed, that is where the gifts of the Spirit stopped. And I was taught that the gifts of the Spirit stopped because the Word of God was the authority and the signs and the wonders and the gifts and the miracles, the tongues, the prophecies, the healings, the miracles. None of that stuff was necessary because God didn't want us believing in those things. He wanted us to believe the Word. And so that was the first teaching I ever received about the gifts of the Spirit, and I believed it. I 100% embraced it. It sounded right to me. And then attached to that was, and again, this was the early 90s, really the mid 90s. And there was a lot of wild stuff happening in the charismatic movement at that time. And so I was getting this teaching about the gifts being um, non-operative, that charismatics were crazy, 
<laughs> that uh, anybody speaking in tongues or prophesying or the miracles were fake and all of it was fake. At best, it was of the flesh, but more than likely it was of the devil because the devil wants to deceive people and get them away from the word of God. So I bought that hook, line and sinker. And for years, I would say for the next, um, that would have been in 1994. So for the next five, probably four and a half to five years, I was a cessationist. I, I believed and preached and taught that the gifts had stopped. And I, I used the verse I'm about to share with you in a moment. It's, it's the only verse. If this one verse wasn't in the Bible, there would not be a single person anywhere in the body of Christ that would believe the gifts have ceased. It's amazing. The whole doctrine of cessationism, believing the gifts have stopped, hangs. It's a heavy doctrine, but it hangs on this flimsy nail of just one verse that is wrongly interpreted. But I was one of the people that believed it. And so I have such compassion for those that have been taught and trained that the gifts aren't real. And I don't have ill will towards any of them, but I'm, I'm, I'm again going to say we can't both be right. And I'm a Bible guy. So I want my Bible to define my theology. I don't want my denomination to find, define my theology. I don't want what my friends believe to define my theology. I don't want what my mentors taught me to define my theology. If, if I'm going to give my life to a truth, I want it to be Bible truth. And so I gave my life to this truth early on that the gifts had ceased. And then around 1999, I said, hey, man, I've got to be able to explain to these guys that I'm encountering at the prison ministry because I was in prison ministry and I was encountering both from, from other preachers and inmates. I was encountering a lot of charismatic guys and I would just kind of tell them the gifts have stopped and they'd be like, you're crazy, dude. And I'm like, no, I'm actually not crazy. Here's this verse in 1 Corinthians 13. Let me show you where the gifts have stopped. And finally, I started realizing, man, th this is a lot of friction. This is a lot of opposition. This is a lot of debate. And I've only got one or two verses. I've got 1 Corinthians 13, 8, and then I've got some stuff in Ephesians 4. And my, my explanation and my biblical understanding of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is really, really weak. And meanwhile, I've got all these passages in the New Testament that not only describe the gifts, as we've been studying in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, and uh, going through these passages, I, I realized, oh my goodness, um, there's all these verses that talk about the gifts, that tell us how to use the gifts. The book of Acts is full of the demonstration of the gifts. The epistles speak of the gifts. The book of Revelation talk about a massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit where miracles, signs, and wonders are coming at the end of the age. So I felt myself trapped. I'm like, I'm, I'm caught between the, the God of the book of Acts and the epistles and the God of that's coming back, the God in, in, that we see the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. And so from looking backwards in the book of Acts and the epistles, I see all these signs, wonders, miracles, and gifts. Looking ahead, I see the same thing. But now in this generation I'm living in, they're telling me that these gifts don't exist. And I said, oh, I need to understand this biblically. So what happened? Well, I did what any honest Bible student would do and a preacher would do. I searched the scriptures and you know what I came away with? I came away with the conclusion the Bible does not teach the doctrine of cessationism. It simply isn't there. It's, it's a constructed conclusion that is framed up by taking various portions of scripture, putting them together, kind of cherry picking and patching them together and creating a doctrine that kind of suits the uh, the intent and I didn't do that with any other doctrine I didn't come up with any other theology that way 
My Christology wasn't framed up that way. My theology of God the Father wasn't framed up that way. My, my ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, wasn't framed up that way. Uh, my eschatology wasn't framed up that way. But my pneumatology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, I, I had a really, really shaky scriptural case for what I believed about the gifts of the Spirit. So what about this verse? What, what, what is it that big of a deal. I mean, does it really matter? Oh, it absolutely matters because we see in the Bible that the gifts of the Holy Spirit were essential to life and ministry in the early church. Essential. And there's so much said about them that if I'm going to be able to say, I honor the written word of God, then I need to honor all of the written word of God properly interpreted. And so I came to this place where I had to repent of hiding behind a man-made doctrine, aligning with my denomination, going with my church bylaws instead of the Holy Bible. And when I repented, I said, okay, I believe theologically that the gifts are real. It wasn't probably until a year later that I actually had my first supernatural encounter with the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that in a different uh, podcast. If you can't wait for that podcast, then know this. All of this is written out in my book, Figuring It Out As I Go. And if you really want to hear the detailed version of my own moving out of cessationism into the world of the charismatic, then pick up my book, Figuring It Out As I Go. You can get it on my website. Go to jefflyle.com or you can order it on Amazon or wherever else you buy books. But I think that will help you. And it's actually a very interesting read about how the Holy Spirit ambushed me. But for sake of today, the time that we have today, I'm going to take a few minutes and I'm going to talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, because those verses are crucial to us properly understanding what the scriptures say about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And again, if you're a charismatic, you need to know this, not because you need to be convinced, but you need to help those that do not believe in the gifts of the Spirit. You need to be equipped to help help them see that what they've believed based on this passage is absolutely poor interpretation of Scripture, and it's not what the Bible teaches at all. And so let's get into it, okay, without further ado. In 1 Corinthians 13, 8, Paul is really talking about the gifts of the Spirit and how the Corinthians were operating in the gifts, but not operating in maturity and not operating in love. And so he says in verse number eight of 1 Corinthians 13, he says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Now, I want all of my charismatic friends and you that are listening or the, the you that haven't made up your mind yet, I want you to hear something. The Bible teaches clearly there will be a time where prophecies will no longer be necessary. Tongues will no longer manifest and knowledge. And that means supernatural revelatory knowledge will pass away. These are undeniable truths. There is in the scriptures, the clear teaching that there is coming a time where these gifts will disappear. Now, why is that important? 
Well, because a lot of people that believe in the gifts don't understand why anybody could not believe in the gifts. Well, this is the reason why. This verse taken on its own was used to teach me and countless others that that time has already arrived. That the time where prophecy ceasing or passing away has already come and gone. The prophecy season is gone. It died at the end of the first century. Same thing for tongues. They said that time has already happened. Tongues have ceased. And they say, look, right there in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, see, it's ceased. And revelatory knowledge, meaning the, the God speaking today and imparting knowledge to people through prophetic knowledge, through words of knowledge, through words of wisdom, as found in 1 Corinthians 12. They say that time has passed away. It died at the end of the first century. So it was always the timing of the end of the first century. And of course, you know, the Bible doesn't say that, but that was an observation that was crafted by somebody that as the further people have moved away from Pentecost, the less important, the less important the spiritual gifts became. And so they were really essential during the transitional period between the gospels and into the kingdom age. But as the word of God was being written, as the apostles and the prophets laid the foundation, the gifts were no longer necessary. Prophecies weren't necessarily, uh, weren't necessary. Tongues weren't necessary. Miracles and healings weren't necessary. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, interpretation of tongues, none of that was necessary because the final books of the Bible had been written and therefore you don't need the gifts, you don't need the power, you got the word of God. Now we'll say this, I am a big, big proponent of knowing, studying, believing, sharing the word of God. Uh, the ministry I founded called Transforming Truth is a Bible teaching verse by verse ministry. Uh, and we've been doing that since 2007 on television and on radio at the beginning and now through the uh, Internet just globally. So I regard the Bible with the highest esteem. That's why I'm teaching this today. But it's because I regard the Bible that I came to the conclusion that the gift still exists. But here we have in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, 8. My Bible's saying that prophecies pass away, tongues cease, and knowledge, supernatural revelatory knowledge, will also pass away. So has that time come, or gone, come and gone? I mean, that's really the issue. The issue is not if gifts, the spiritual gifts will cease, it's when. And that's what we're discussing because large groups say it's already happened and charismatics or continuationists say, no, bro, you don't understand. We are operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're as, they're as important now as they ever have been. So let's establish the fact. Spiritual gifts will eventually cease. The question is not if they will. The question is when they will. And hallelujah, the timing of when they will cease is clearly described in the verses right after the verse I just read you. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 says that the gifts will eventually cease. And then when you get down into verses 9, 10, 11, 12, it starts describing when these gifts of the Spirit will cease. And so let me read this. So Paul says in verse number nine, right after the verse I just read, he says, we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, 
even as I have been fully known. Now, I hope you were able to track with me there. And if you weren't, remember, you always have a Bible handy on your phone or an actual Bible in your hand during especially these teachings because I'm using the Bible to establish biblically that the gifts have not ceased. So the question is, when do the gifts cease? Paul says they will cease in verse uh, chapter uh, 13, verse 8. And then he starts saying when, when, then, then. So he's telling us the timing. And so what we've got to do is we've got to analyze the timing. If Paul says, hey, this is when the gifts cease, then we need to know, has, that, has, has all of what he describes been fulfilled? Because if it has, the gifts are done. But if it hasn't, then the gifts are continuing. And so he's saying, while he's writing in the present tense, he says, we know in part, we prophesy in part. That's very important. When we talk about prophecy, we'll come back to this verse. But prophecy is done in part. It means it is a human element where we do it by faith. It's not always like it was in the Old Testament where God spoke and you just repeated what God spoke. And there was never any doubt whatsoever. We're told in the New Testament that we prophesy in part. That means there's a human element that can leave margin for error. The error is never with God. But if there is ever an error, an error, in the prophetic movement, it's because somebody missed what God was saying or they wrongly spoke what they rightly heard. We'll come back to that at a different time because it's a big old hairy subject that we've got to tackle. But here's the verse I want to get to. So Paul is saying, when will the gifts cease? When will prophecies pass away? When, When will tongues cease? When will knowledge pass away? Okay, here it is. Verse 10. When the perfect comes. When the perfect comes, the partial he, remember, he said, we prophesy in part. So he's talking about the gifts, specifically prophecy. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So here we have a clue. The characterization of the time when the gifts cease are, is described as when the perfect comes. So that leads to another question. What is the perfect? Well, hold on. He's going to unpack that. Down in verse number 12, he says, now we see in a mirror dimly. Now we look at things, and if you, you know anything about New Testament times, they didn't have mirrors like we do. If I look into the mirror, sadly on some days, I see exactly what's staring back at me. That is me. I know exactly what I look like. In their day, a mirror was a polished, smooth piece of metal, and it was a, at best an inaccurate reflection. They could see a little bit. And so Paul says, now with the gifts, now with the prophetic stuff, now with the signs and the wonders and the gifts of the Spirit, we see through a we see in a mirror dimly. What does that mean? Well, Paul's trying to explain to his original audience that when it comes to the spiritual gifts, there is an an incompleteness in the sense that the human element always leaves this question mark. Is this actually perfectly correct? Is it 100% accurate? Do we fully understand it? Can we always execute perfectly with it? The gifts of the Spirit, listen, it's so important that we get this. They, they have a human element. They're done. They're exercised by faith. They can be abused. They can be misused. They can be misdirected. The gifts of the Holy Spirit is not just God seizing control of a person and the person blanks out completely and God's just working through them like there's some, you know, zombie and they have no control of their faculties. Matter of fact, this same passage of scripture lets us know that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, meaning we we are aware that we're participating in a partnership with God when we are 
exercising the gifts of the Spirit. But we don't understand it all. We, we don't always execute perfectly. Paul says, we see in a mirror dimly, meaning we don't get a perfect understanding of just exactly what this is. But, he says, verse 12, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, we now see in a mirror dimly, but then, when, Paul? When the perfect comes, what is that talking about? This is when the gifts cease, when prophecy vanishes away. Then, face to face, what are we talking about? When he's talking about seeing in a mirror dimly, it's the aspect of faith. It means we don't get the full picture. We're not in the actual presence of God. We have a partnership with God in the gifts by faith. We are relating to God on a day-to-day basis by faith. We do not see him. We don't talk to him face-to-face. And so there is the dilution right now. We are not actually in the presence face-to-face of the glorified, resurrected Jesus Christ every single day. And Paul describes that, yeah, we're looking, through a, we're looking through a mirror dimly. We don't have perfection in our um, day-to-day encounter and interaction with Jesus. There's the faith element. It's the mirror dimly. But then it'll be face-to-face. What's he talking about? When the perfect comes, it will then be face-to-face. He's not talking about a what. He's talking about a who. The perfect is talking about the return of Jesus Christ. When that occurs, when Jesus Christ comes back to earth, when we are caught up together, when we are brought into his presence, when we receive our glorified bodies, we we will no longer be operating by faith. You will never need faith in heaven. You will have wonder. You will have awe. You will be blown away, but you won't need faith at all. Why? Because faith will translate into perfect sight. Everything you believe by faith will become actual by sight when we enter into the presence of the Lord. And it's described as being face-to-face with him. Now, friends, any time that that phrase is used, face-to-face, in what is called the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, any time you see that same phrase here translated in English, face-to-face, it's describing a one-on-one personal encounter with God. So it's not a metaphor. Paul's not using a metaphor here. He's saying when the gifts cease is when the perfect comes, when the return of Jesus Christ takes place, and that's going to result in a face-to-face reality, us and Jesus. Imagine that. You're going to see him face-to-face. You're going to hear his voice. You're, You're going to be in the physical presence of the glorified Son of God who exists in the body that he left planet Earth in with the holes in his hands and his side, the same one he showed to Thomas. You're going to look into the actual physical face of the son of God. Glory to God. That's encouraging. That's exciting. And it's going to replace the seeing in a mirror dimly. Paul's describing the time as the face to face. He says, now I know in part, verse 12, first Corinthians 13, 12. Now I know in part, again, he says, we prophesy in part, We know in part. What is he talking about? He's just talking about the incompleteness. We're not perfect. Spiritual gifts are not perfect. Relating to God right now is not perfect. Why? Not because of anything lacking in God, but what's lacking in us. We are inhibited by our limitations. And we have to operate in faith. And so it it, it leaves this element. It's gloriously good, but it's still incomplete. And so he says, now I know in part, but then... I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So I'm going to walk this backwards. Let's reverse engineer this. So as a cessationist, I used to say, oh, the gifts have already ceased. 
And in order for that to be true, I have to answer these questions. First, has the perfect come? Well, I was told that the perfect was the perfect written word of God. And so even though Paul's not writing anything about the word of God in this passage of scripture, somebody taught me completely out of context and said, oh, when he says the perfect, the perfect is actually talking about the Bible. So when the Bible comes, all of the gifts that are partial, they'll pass away. They were there for a time, but the Bible now replaces the gifts. Sadly, I believe that um, doubly sadly is it's nowhere taught in scripture. Nowhere. As a matter of fact, Paul said the kingdom of God is not in word only, but in demonstration of the spirit's power. So we, we need both. We need the word of God and the spirit's power. It takes nothing away from the word of God to say, we need the spiritual gifts. We need the work of the Holy spirit. Paul had the word. He had apostolic doctrine and revelation, and he had the gifts of the spirit. The first century church had the doctrine of the apostles, which would be tantamount to the word of God. And they had the gifts of the Holy spirit. And yet we're living in our day where a lot of people say, we don't need the gifts of the Holy spirit because we have the written word of God and that's all that we need. So we got to answer that question. Has the perfect come? I will tell you that the perfect has not come. And the reason why is because it's described as seeing him face to face. Now, friends, I appreciate all encounters. I appreciate the fact that some people have, you know, their testimony is that they have seen Jesus. I've never have. I've never seen the physical Lord. And I'm not here to cast doubt on anybody that says they have. I'm just saying I haven't. But I can tell you this. The entire body of Christ has not seen him face to face. Therefore, if Paul's saying the gifts don't disappear until that time comes where the perfect is here and that perfect is described as the time where we see him, Jesus, face to face, then I'm going to say without any doubt whatsoever, the gifts can't cease because this is describing a time period that hasn't happened yet. And then to top it all off, if we needed any extra help, Paul says, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now, here's a humility test for all of my cessationist friends. Do you know God fully? I didn't ask if you knew him at all. I didn't ask if you knew him well. I'm asking you, do you know him fully even as he knows you? Because that's what the scripture says. The scripture says the gifts cease at that time when the perfect comes, when we see him face to face, when we know God fully, even as we are fully known by God. So you can tell I get passionate about this and it's because I know I'm dismantling error. And I'm praying that those of you that don't believe in the gifts of the spirit will consider prayerfully what these verses are saying, and then ask yourself a question. If God put the gifts in the Bible, if first Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, Romans chapter 12, first Peter four, Ephesians four, if they're all centrally focused on teaching on the gifts of the Holy spirit and all that's in the Bible, if the whole book of acts which is primarily post-resurrection, displays the use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If in the book of Revelation that describes the age to come, we see an outpouring of the Spirit with massive gifts. If Joel chapter 2 and Acts chapter 2 say at the end of the age, there will be the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit ever seen, and your, your sons and your daughters will prophesy, there'll be visions and dreams and maidservants, and, and, and everybody gets hit by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's at the end of the age, then why in the world are, are, are any of us committed to propagating a doctrine that says, yeah, it was necessary and real in Acts and the epistles. It's going to be necessary and real at the end of the age. But right now we got this. We don't need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We got the word of God. How in the world do we have the right to 
you know, produce a doctrine like that. I'm telling you, we don't have the right. I'm telling you it's false doctrine, maybe well-intended. I believe it's based primarily on the fact that there was such a massive downtick in the supernatural for centuries. And so what's crazy is that cessationists are all the time pointing the fingers at charismatic saying, y'all believe what you believe based on experience. And I think that that's a legitimate, you know, um, indictment sometimes. I do think that sometimes charismatics don't know biblically why they believe what they believe. They base it all on experience. Not all of us, but some of us do that. But here's the amazing thing. Cessationists are basing what they believe on their lack of experience. Well, I've never experienced tongues, so it must not be real. I've never experienced prophecy. It must not be real. And my experience with prophecy is then I've heard a lot of false prophecies. Therefore, it must not be real. And do you see that we've, we leave the Bible and we base what we believe on our most convincing experience. And I will just submit to you as I close that I believe that it's very consistent with the overall intentions of the devil to create a doctrine that would tell us we don't need God's gift or gifts, plural, the charismata, that we don't need God's gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit in order to live and serve worship and fellowship in this day. That sounds like something the devil would say, because if you aren't operating in God's gifts, then you're operating your own natural gifts. You're trusting in your own intellect. You're trusting in building up bigger, stronger, better ministry muscles. And we have to bring in all sorts of ministry equipment, so to speak, to prop us up because we don't have the supernatural Holy Ghost power that will radically convince unbelievers that God is in their midst through the working of miracles, signs, wonders, supernatural giftings. So when we come back, in the next couple of episodes, we're going to talk more about this. Here's what I'm leaving you with today as I close. Prayerfully consider why do you believe what you believe about the gifts? If you are a cessationist, ask yourself, do I believe the gifts cease because of an improper interpretation of 1 Corinthians 13, 8? Did I ever bother to read Paul describing when the gifts cease in 1 Corinthians 9 through 12? It's right there. And if that time hasn't occurred yet, if the perfect hasn't come, if we are not face to face with the Lord, if, if we do not know God fully, even as we've been fully known, then until that time arrives, there's no biblical reason to believe that the spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are nullified. Therefore, they are available to you. And so next time we'll talk about what Paul commands concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit because he actually commands us to pursue the gifts. Why? Because they're available and you and I need them. All right, we are out of time. Thanks for tuning in. Again, if you want more uh, to find out more about some of the stuff we're doing in the kingdom, visit transformingtruth.org. That's the umbrella ministry for Mavericks and Misfits. And listen, I pray that God will move on some of your hearts. And you that are hungry for the gifts of the Spirit, press in. And if you want to know what that looks like, tune into the next episode and I'll help you with it. God bless. See you next time. To connect with Jeff, visit maverickmisfit.com where you'll find all his social media links, video resources, his book, Figuring It Out As I Go, and his weekly Transforming Truth blog. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Your review helps us to reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget that you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.